message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I've been very excited as usual about speaking this morning because, uh, you know, when God gives you a word and it's sort of burning in your bones, um, you become one with it, really, you know, and that's why we're receiving this word all the time and realizing that his word is life to our physical bodies. It actually uh, produces in us his life. His word brings his life. And um, so this morning, really, I want to just uh, to speak about um, the revelation that we're receiving, the effect it's having on us, but also how sometimes the things in this world can actually blind us to what is obvious from the heavenly realm, you know? I mean, it's obvious from heaven today that Jesus Christ has won. <laughs> it's obvious that he has done all that is necessary. And so when we hear things from the heavenly realm, uh, it sounds foolishness to the carnal mind that looks and does not see these things. So this morning, we're going to read the story, begin by reading the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, thinking about this theme, really, of not seeing what is right there in front of you, okay? So turn in your Bibles to Luke, chapter 24, and we're going to read just from verse 13. And so these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, we all know the story very well. I'm not going to read to the end of the story, um, but actually I just want to focus on a couple of verses that really... Uh, jumped out at me as I was reading this earlier in the week. So this is Luke 24. You know the story. Um, these two disciples returning from the scene of the crucifixion, the very downhearted. And it says in verse 13, Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? When I read that again this morning, I laughed to think, you know, Cleopas is talking to God. Do you believe Jesus is God? <laughs> Cleopas is talking to God and he says, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happening around here? <laughs> He's actually the only one who does know what's happening around here. It's quite incredible, isn't it? Anyway, let's move on. And he said to them, what things? What things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. And we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. And also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. They did not find his body, and they came saying that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said. Uh, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? 
Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Praise God. We'll just stop there, actually, because it's a very important verse. We'll come back to that later. But look back at verse 15 and 16. It says there, while they were talking and discussing, and uh, I think the King James says, while they were conversing and reasoning together. So I want you to particularly look at the word reasoning, because there's a difference between talking about something and then reasoning about it. I'll give you an example. If we came in this morning and the police were stopping cars on the street outside and asking people for their ID, you know, and maybe you walked in here this morning and you found somebody and you told them what you had seen and they told you what they had seen, that's talking about it. That's conversing about it. But as, some, as soon as somebody says, but why? Why were the police stopping people this morning? Well, suddenly this person over here says, well, I heard there was a break-in in Irish Street last night. And somebody else says, no, 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 no. I, I heard, in fact, that there was joy riding here early this morning. And that's why the police are here. And a third person says, no, no, no. The police are stopping people all over the city. I was stopping myself at a different checkpoint. This is all about drink driving. You see, as soon as you ask the question why, it turns from conversing into reasoning. And so if you look some of your Bibles, that's the word that's used there. They were actually reasoning together. Now, the beautiful thing about that, it says, verse 16, while they were reasoning together, Jesus came and started to walk with them, but they didn't recognize him. You know, the shepherd doesn't wait for an invitation to look for lost sheep. You remember Tim Jack said that a couple of years ago here. He said, the Holy Spirit was at work in your life long before you give him permission to be so. That's very important. Jesus is walking with people right now today, your unsaved family, and they don't recognize him. They don't see him. You know, when you witness the gospel to your family, you are not the first witness. The Holy Spirit is the first witness. Praise God. And if we listen to him, he'll tell us who's listening and who's not. Save us wasting a lot of time in the wrong place. Now look at verse 16. It says there, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And in fact, if you look at the authorized version, it uses a very strange word. It says, but their eyes were holden, holden, that they should not know him. Now I looked up that word holden, and it comes from a Greek word, which is a krateo. And that's defined as to have power, to be the master of, to take possession of, to seize or restrain. Something was restraining their eyes. Something had captivated their vision so much that they could not see the resurrected Christ. Now, we all know the end of that story because what happens is when Jesus breaks bread, it says their eyes were opened and they saw him. So we're talking this morning about a spiritual blindness. And uh, when I was reading that story, every time I read this story, I always go straight to the end. I, you know, the climax of the story, of course, is when Jesus breaks bread, they recognize him, and they're so excited, and they get up and they run back to Jerusalem. But as I was reading that this week, I felt the Holy Spirit just asked me to go back again and look at verse 15 and 16, and then there was a question in my heart, you know, and I don't know if that's the way the Holy Spirit would speak to you too. He puts a question there, and you've got to have that question answered. You know, Jesus asked three times more questions then he was asked, that's often the way the Holy Spirit's working. Now, you have questions right now in your heart about the gospel. You have questions, many questions, but that's exactly how the Holy Spirit works. He wants you to have those questions because he has the answers to those questions. And we need to be asking those questions all the time. God is not afraid of questions, and we should not be afraid of questions. There are things today I don't know the answer to, but I'm not afraid because I know him who knows the answer. And I know that I'll know when I need to know. 
you're told on the basis of a need-to-know basis, praise God. And so you have everything you need to know for the day you're in. So look at this again. Because the question that came to me was, what exactly prevented them from seeing Jesus? You see, I've always assumed that many versions sometimes will give this impression that it was the Lord who prevented them from seeing him. But something about that doesn't really sit with me. Because the heart of the Father is not to blind people to Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is not to blind people to Jesus. Quite the opposite. And so in fact, we see, in fact, that throughout scriptures all the time, Jesus himself said, the Father makes the light shine on the evil and the just. He is the one who opens eyes to the Son, praise God. There's a beautiful saying by a third century a church father, a guy called uh, St. Anthony the Great. He said this, to say that God turns away from the wicked is like saying that the Son hides itself from the blind. That's worth saying again. To say that God turns away from the wicked is like saying that the sun hides itself from the blind. So God is not in the business of blinding people to the sun. In fact, the sun wasn't there to blind those men. He was there to open their eyes. So we're asking the question, what was captivating their vision so as to prevent them, them from seeing him? Because what I want to show you is, what I'm going to show you this morning that captivates their vision, that obscured their vision of the risen Christ, is the same thing that captivates our vision in this world. The same thing that obscures our vision from seeing Christ resurrected and us with him right now. Verse 15 and 16, look at it again. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus drew near, but their eyes were restrained. You see, it says there, while they were busy reasoning. They were busy trying to reason out Christ and him crucified using earthly understanding. No one can reason out why Christ died from earthly understanding. It's not possible. It's not possible to use reason, that's natural understanding apart from the Holy Spirit, to see the risen Christ, to see resurrection life. Reason apart from the Holy Spirit can only ever see God as apart from man. And that's why to naturally minded men and to naturally minded believers, religion sounds reasonable. And the gospel of grace sounds foolishness. Because the natural man only sees and comprehends the world through his reason, that is, his experience and his natural senses. And our earthly experience, our natural experience of every person who walks this earth is one of sin and death. It's one of separation. And that lens of separation is the lens through which we see everything. So these two disciples, they could not discern the risen Christ because he could not be discerned by natural earthly reasoning alone. Now, we all know where it says that in the Bible, don't we? 1 Corinthians 2. Remember that scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, 14? The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit. Why? For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that same beautiful passage it says that lovely scripture I love, which is verse 12, where it talks about the fact that no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us. You see? So we'll come back to this. There's two spirits in this world this morning. There's the spirit of the world. There is reason. Man's natural earthly understanding apart from the Holy Spirit. His natural reasoning. Everything he knows from his experience. And you, maybe and I, and most people here, you have 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of natural experience of grief and separation and death and all those things. And that really is what creato takes, captivates our vision and prevents us from seeing things from the heavenly realm. 
and we're going to see that this morning. So this is what was happening here. We can't reason alone the things which are given to us freely by God. We need the Holy Spirit because reason can only operate from natural earthly experience. These two disciples could not see Christ because they could not yet see past their, nat their natural earthly experience, the way they had reasoned it all out. Despite reports there of the resurrection, their natural earthly experience was one of death and separation. These men were traumatized. They've been through a horrible, terrible experience of separation and death, you know. You try talking to somebody who's just been through that experience, it's very, very difficult to see the risen Christ, to see God stand triumphant above all these things when you're in the middle of a situation like that, you know. And that's the world that we live in, a world full of grief and sin and separation. That's separation mindset. And that's the lens, the lens of separation by which natural men see and through that lens, they cannot see the risen Christ. They cannot see union. You see, it's a bit like Martha. Remember, Martha was overcome with grief at the death of Lazarus, so overwhelmed by the darkness of separation that resurrection life was standing right there in front of her, and she couldn't see him. Remember that. Remember, he said to her, what do you think? Will Lazarus arise? Oh, yes, Lord, on the last day. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. You see? Here's the, the, the tension. We're living as believers now. We're receiving this beautiful heavenly gospel. And we're called to live outside of time. So we're called to bring in the eternal realm, what God says, into this time, including into terrible situations of death and destruction and separation. But to stand and to not let those situations tell you what's really happening. Because we know from him, the resurrection and the life, who has really triumphed over death and what is really happening. Praise God. So we see here two disciples have been tragically, as it were, bereaved. They're overcome by grief. Their vision is darkened by sin and death. They cannot see the resurrection and the life. Christ standing right before them. Remember Mary Magdalene? She couldn't see Jesus right before her. She was looking through a veil of tears. A veil of tears. That's what this word is often described, isn't it? A veil of tears. The Bible talks about that veil that covers the eyes of people, not letting them see. Praise God. That's a natural understanding. She too couldn't see properly. Uh, of course, until one thing happened, until Jesus spoke. When Jesus begins to speak, the veil starts to come away. That's what we're finding. The more we're preaching about Christ, Jesus Christ, the veil is being taken away. Jesus, we're, going to, we're about to see here, all he did with these two disciples, he spoke to them. He spoke to them. He spoke to them. And within a short period of time, their eyes were opened and they could see him. That's the power of the gospel. But I want to remind you, what did Jesus speak to them in each account when he spoke? Jesus spoke to his disciples. What did he speak about? Look at it. It says, he spoke about himself. You see that in verse 27. He pointed to himself. And 2,000 years later, the only preaching that opens believers' eyes to see beyond reason is to see beyond the natural experience of death and separation, to see their resurrected life, to see their union with God, is to preach Christ and to show people Christ. It says there that Jesus took people to the Old Testament. He took them to um, the Old Testament and he revealed to them himself. Praise God. In other words, you cannot properly interpret the Old Testament if you think it's about anyone else but Jesus Christ. <laughs> Especially if you think it's about yourself. Look at verse 27. I think verse 27 should be the first verse that all believers are taught before they're allowed into a Bible study. <laughs> Look at it together. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, 
That's the, that's the Old Testament. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. You see, beginning with Moses, that's speaking about the first five books of the Bible, Exodus, uh, you know, sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that's the law, the commandments, the curses, the blessings, all of those things. All of that really is about Christ and what he would do. But when believers' thinking has been darkened, when their vision has been holden or crateo by their day-to-day experience of separation and death and sickness, then their vision becomes so self-centered that they read it all about themselves. That's what this vision does, this darkening of the vision. You begin to see everything around yourself. You know that. You know when people sometimes either, let's say a very immature Christian, or let's say somebody who's been touched by grief or pain or suffering, suddenly... They turn in themselves. Suddenly, it's all about me. It's all about me. Can you see that? Now, what happens is, as your eyes are open, as you're coming more and more into the mind of Christ, it becomes less and less about you until you disappear altogether. (laughs) It's all about Christ. Then in the early church, you know, they had such an attitude towards death that they used to run towards the lions. It said that Romans used to throw themselves in after them, thinking, my God, what are these people on? (laughs) They had absolutely no fear of death. They had lost sight of their own mortality simply by seeing their immortality in Christ. They had such an amazing revelation of the reality that transcends this natural world that they couldn't live in the fear that the whole world around them lived in. And that came by the preaching of Christ. That came by the revelation of Christ. It's such a beautiful thing. You study the scriptures diligently, Jesus said to the Pharisees, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about Me, Jesus said. Me. Don't go to the scriptures looking as a self-help man. The Bible is not a self-help manual. The Bible, in fact, is the declaration of the death of self in Christ. That's what sets you free. But if we don't see that, many of us simply go to it as a book about how I can do better for God. It is not given that you would figure out what you need to do to please or appease God. It is not about you and your works. It is about Christ and His Praise the Lord. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. Christ and him crucified, you know. And that's why when you come to church and you're waiting for us to tell you about what you need to do to be a better Christian, you're going to wait a long time because we don't preach you. We preach Christ. We preach Christ. And we'll keep preaching Christ until your eyes open and you see yourself in him. And you see resurrection life. And after that, we won't have to teach you anything. (laughs) Because the Holy Spirit in you will know, and you will know, but you know that you know what to do. Why? Because you're no longer, your vision is no longer carjeto by fear, but you see clearly. And you see clearly that you're in Christ, and Christ is in you, and in Him, oh, you're more than a conqueror. And no matter what happens to you in this world, take heart because you have already overcome the world. Praise the Lord. So you're not promised a protection from everything that comes upon you. You're promised that your reaction in the middle of that darkness is going to shine such a light to people who watch the way you are around fear and see that you're different and see that there's a different spirit in you, that you are light to darkness. And the darkness does not control you. Where the light comes, the darkness flees. Praise God. So this is this revelation that's coming with the preaching of Christ the things concerning himself. He showed them him and his finished work. Praise God. So natural earthly understanding, reason alone, only sees a world separated from God, a world abandoned by God. Let me say that again. The natural understanding alone only says, where in heaven's name is God? Ask yourself, 
What do the bereaved say today? Where's God? Where was God? What do mothers say to children on the border between Turkey and Cyprus this morning? They're sitting there with their children and nothing to feed them and, and the world gone to pieces. Where's God? Where's God? If there was a God, why has this happened? Do you see what happens? When you're overwhelmed by the spirit of this world, the sin and the death and the suffering, it blinds you. And the first question you say is, where is God? You see, that's the blindness, you know. Now, the Holy Spirit is given that we would not be people who see like that, who see as if he has left us, but we would see, in fact, his very presence with us. Now, reason cannot see past that natural realm. As far as reason is concerned, God has abandoned us. In fact, the truth is that rather than abandon us, he is the very one who's entered into the very depths of our separation, the very depths of our separation and redeemed it. The God-man. The man whose union with the Father was so powerful that at the moment of his death, the union of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit destroyed the separation between God and man. Through Christ, union triumphed over separation. Life triumphed over death. That's what happened at the cross, praise God. There's a beautiful guy called E.W. Kenyon who once wrote, When death slew Jesus, it slewed itself. <laughs> That's a word we don't often use these days, slew, isn't that right? When death slew Jesus, it slewed itself. Isn't that beautiful? When you think about that, to walk in Christ, I must walk in that mind. The mind that knows that union is stronger than separation. That my life in Christ is now stronger than death. Can you say amen to that? That's called the mind of Christ. Now, do we believe that? That the union of the Godhead, the life of the Trinity, is stronger than the power of death? Do you believe that? I know you don't. Come on. Do you believe that the power of the union of the Trinity is stronger than death? Yes. Well, then what happened at the cross? Did death break the Trinity or did the Trinity break death? There can only be one thing that happened because God was not broken by death. His union was stronger than the separation of death. Light is stronger than darkness. The Trinity broke the power of death at the cross. That's what happened there, praise God. And thank God for it. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were not broken up by death. Death, separation was broken by the power of their union. Separation was swallowed up by union. So the moment of Jesus' death, when he cried out, it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil represented separation. Separation between God and man. And you know, there's a beautiful illustration and I think it was Greg Henry who, who shared this, uh, that on the outside of the curtain, there was embroidered the cherubim. Do you remember the cherubim? Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, what was the job of the cherubim? With their flaming swords. It was to stop Adam in his fallen state getting back to the tree of life. For if he ate of the tree of life, he would remain forever in that state. Do you see what happened at the cross? The moment Jesus cried out... The temple veil was torn in two. Those seraphim were moved aside because now the tree of life was free for all who would believe to access again. He made a way that all could eat from the tree of life, praise God, by moving aside the very separation, dealing with the very separation that was keeping us from the life of God. So the moment of Christ's death, the whole power of the Godhead in the last Adam, life itself touched death and had the same effect on it as light on darkness. Where the light is, the darkness cannot be. Where eternal life is, death cannot be. Praise God. So when the sun rises in the morning, where does the darkness go? 
<laughs> Very good, John. It ceases to exist. Isn't that right? Because darkness is the absence of light. Jesus said, I am the life. Praise God. In the presence of the life, death cannot exist. In the presence of light, darkness cannot exist. So when Jesus himself, life himself, when he touched the dead, when he touched the sick, they ceased to be dead. They ceased to be sick. They ceased to be because darkness cannot exist in the presence of the light. To those born of the first Adam, who were born into a condition called separation from God, death, they walk in the darkness of separation. The whole world is full of that darkness, the darkness of separation. But those born of the last Adam, you're children of the light. You're not born of darkness. You're not walking in darkness. You're walking in the light. And you're called, and I'm called, to be a light bearer. That we rush towards any dark place. Coronavirus, bring the light. Bring the light. Bring the love that casts out fear. We have that life, but here's the beautiful thing. We're also growing up into that life. And I want to ask that question this morning. Well, okay, we're speaking about this vision. And our vision was obscured and our vision was darkened by all the sickness and the death and the separation and the grief and all the things in my life that caused me to say, God, where in heaven's name are you? And then the gospel was preached to me and Christ was preached to me and my eyes started to open and my eyes started to open to God's perspective, to who God sees, to a word that God sees, where he sees that what he has done is sufficient for the needs of all the world, where he sees, in fact, that he has made provision, where he sees that he's a God who hasn't withheld himself from us. He's a God who's given himself to us. You see the way your eyesight changes then? As you're under the preaching of Christ, your eyes open to see things differently. Praise God. So I want to speak about growing up into that eyesight because the entrance of his word brings light. And the more that we're receiving this beautiful message, the more our eyes are opening, the more our capacity to hold light and to give light is growing. We are only scratching the surface of the goodness of God. And we are going to grow and grow and grow. And our capacity to receive things that even the Holy Spirit cannot even speak to us now is going to grow. I hope and I trust and I pray that you're going to believe things this year that you never believed last year. For here's God's will for you. You're given the Holy Spirit, not that you would stay the same, but you would grow in the knowledge of God. The, the Apostle Peter wrote that, do not fall into error, but grow. Do not fall into error, but grow in the grace and knowledge of God, you know? You see, as soon as you decide you're going to stop growing, you're now depending on your experience. You're now depending on it. What you've done is you've blinked yourself. We are not to be people who depend on a natural experience. I don't care if you've got 200 years of good church experience. That's nothing compared to the eternal vision Christ has of us in him, praise God. And he wants his church to grow up into the head. That's the whole purpose of the ministry, the growing up of the body into the head, into the mind of Christ, that we would demonstrate and walk in that light, in that mind, in such a way that darkness falls back on all sides. And folks, it's exciting. We're growing in this, you know. We're going from glory to glory. We're going from light to light, and amazingly beautiful things are going to happen. It's getting better and better, uh, brighter and brighter. There's a beautiful scripture concerning that, that progress of the believer in Proverbs 4, uh, it says this, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. You love that scripture, Thomas, don't you? That shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Do not let them, let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Praise God. 
So because of Jesus, the way is now open for men to live with God, in God. Not just one day in the by and by, but today and every day. But to receive that life, we have to see. Our eyes have to open to see Emmanuel, to see the risen Christ given to us. And that's the reason the Holy Spirit is given. That we would not be people who cannot see past our natural earthly experience. Horrible things happen in this life, but they were not meant to define you. No matter what it is that's happened in your life that was horrible, you're not meant to make camp there. That's not powerful enough to define you. Christ defined you. I always say there's no amount of rejection in this world, and we've all suffered rejection, no amount of rejection can hold a candle to the acceptance you have in Christ. That's the gospel. That's the truth, you know. But you need to want to move on from that place. And God is so gracious. He knows the things that have afflicted us, the things that have darkened our vision, and he comes to open our eyes to see. We're no longer to be people who refuse to see what doesn't seem reasonable to us, given our earthly experience of sin and death and darkness. We're no longer to be people who see by the spirit of this world separation. We're no longer to be people who have had their vision holden or created or captivated by the separation of this world, what the Bible calls sin and death. You see, there are only two types of vision in this world. The darkened vision that comes from the spirit of the world. A vision that can't see past separation. And the enlightened vision, the vision that comes from the Spirit that comes from God, the vision that sees the very presence of the resurrection, the resurrected life of Christ in me, praise God, the vision that sees that I am free to partake of the tree of life. Now, as believers, we know which Spirit we've been given. We read it this morning. We have not been given the Spirit of the world. Turn to the person beside you and say, we have not been given the Spirit of the world. <laughs> <laughs> we have been given the spirit that comes from God. Why have we been given the spirit that comes from God? That we may know the things which have been... Sorry? Sorry? Shouted out from the rooftops. When this world hears the word freely, last thing Jesus said to disciples before he sent them out, freely you have received, freely give. And the reason there's so little pouring out of the church of the miraculous is there's so little been received. Freely. <laughs> see the carnal mind can't understand I know we mean freely it's something to do with me isn't it don't I have to work for it don't I have to do it no it's Christ you see it was given to you while you were dead in your sins who raised you up praise God it's got nothing to do with you what's affecting you really is your natural experience has blinded you to what Christ has made of you what Christ has done and his Holy Spirit and his word is what opens our eyes so I want to finish today, really, by showing you what happens when believers' eyes are darkened, when they're brought down from the heavenly realm into the earthly realm. And the Lord really wants us to know this because it happens all over the place. And he wants us to see very clearly the antidote to it. Because those words that Paul wrote, those beautiful words, were written to the Corinthians. And that was a people, church people, believers, whose vision had already been so darkened by the idea of separation that they were beginning to live self-lives again, separated from God-lives, in everything that they did. And I'm going to show you why that is. Paul was writing those words to those people because their vision had been creato, captivated, really, um, by the sin and death of the world. And really, what happens when people begin to live, when believers begin to live as a people separated from God, separated from the life of God, what do they do? They begin to try and produce that life by the works of their flesh. 
when believers begin to see themselves, and their vision is dark, and begin to see themselves as now separated from God, separated from the blessing of God, if that's the way they see, they can't help but begin to try and produce that life, the blessing of life themselves by their own works. In other words, they get religious. The Corinthians got religious. Self-effort. Religion defined as self-effort. As long as you can't see the grace of God has clothed you, when you are naked in your sin, you'll always try and clothe yourself. Isn't that beautiful? As long as you don't see the grace of God clothed you when you were naked in your sin, you will always try and clothe yourself. Now, you trying to clothe yourself, the Bible has a word for that. It's called the works of the flesh. It's called the works of the flesh. And they're listed very clearly in Scripture. When men reason apart from the Spirit of God, religion is always the result. Because religion to the natural earthly man is the only reasonable way by which he can obtain the blessings of God. <laughs> The Corinthians, I guess, is not surprising that their vision fell, that they got religious, because they were surrounded by religion in that city. It was a city known for sacrifices. Everybody was making sacrifices to the gods that they could get the blessed life of God, you see? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So they had begun to be conformed, really, to the city and to the world around them. And so, of course, because of that, they began to try and produce through their own works, uh, the life of God. And when that sort of self-effort is working in the church, you get all the things that Paul mentions in Galatians 5. He calls it the works of the flesh. Let me read them to you. <laughs> Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. When I read that list, there's about 15 in that list. You know, over a third of that list has got something to do with division, infighting, biting and devouring each other, Paul said to the Galatians, you know, division. And in fact, I would say that division is the primary manifestation of the work of the flesh in the church. And in fact, if you read again Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it's the very first thing he addresses. After he gets his nice, gracious greeting out of the way, you can see he's itching to say something. It bursts out. Let me read it to you. The very first thing he said to them. Now, I exhort you, brethren, this is verse 10 from 1 Corinthians 1, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? So can you hear what's happening there? The spirit of this world, the spirit of self-effort, man trying to produce the life of God through his own works, had begun to blind them to what they had received. One life. Christ is not divided. When you receive the, your, the life of Christ as a believer, you receive one life. There is only one life. There's not a, lots of little Christ lives. There is only one life. There is only one life. The only reason division crops up is because I'm back in myself again, really. And now I'm boasting and I'm comparing myself with someone else. So the spirit of this world, the spirit of self-effort, really, had actually gone in there. And now there was dissensions. And, and, you know, whenever that happens in the church, if you have the works of the flesh in operation in the church, and there is enmities, debates, uh, fighting, discussion, that affects the community. The church has a significant influence on the community. When you have a church in a nation that is wrecked, by that works of the flesh, what happens in the community? 
The same thing happens in the church. You get in the community sectarianism. You get dissensions, enmities, infighting all the time. Why? Because that spirit, the church is supposed to be the spirit from heaven. In heaven, there is no dissensions. There's no enmity. There's no infighting. There's one mind, one life, praise God. And so God is getting that one mind, that one life to be in the body of Christ that we would see, in fact, uh, and as we begin to more and more grow into that one head, we would manifest that beautiful peace, which means oneness, the peace of God, which then begins to affect the community, you know? So when you look at Northern Ireland and look at the reputation we have around the world for sectarianism and bigotry, you know, <laughs> the church cannot escape the responsibility. We have not manifested irony, peace of God, oneness, the revelation of Christ, but all that is changing by the grace of God. So look, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, let's return to them. As long as they did not discern the resurrected Christ as their one new life, they continue to walk separate from the rest of the body. They're leaving the body. They're leaving the rest of the body. They're heading off somewhere else. You see, what was the first thing they did on seeing the risen Christ? They turned right around and they ran straight to rejoin the body. Isn't that beautiful? They just felt, oh, we've got to be with the body. We've got to be with the body. Do you see Christ? The body just comes together. Isn't it beautiful? The more we lift up Jesus Christ, when I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The lifting up of Christ brings such a wonderful revelation of this one life in the body of Christ. Praise God. So maturity in the Christian life, according to Ephesians 4, is growing up into the head, drawing your identity and your life from the resurrected Christ. Immaturity is drawing your identity from your earthly experience, your earthly label, your self-life. So divisions will continue to obscure the body of Christ as one life, as long as believers continue to draw their life, their identity, more from what denomination they belong to than from what father they belong to. Now, who are you taking your identity from? <laughs> Let me finish by saying this. Why do we then, as believers, struggle to see that self died on the cross, that it is no longer I who lives, but that I was crucified with Christ? Why do so many of us have struggled for so long to overcome our natural pasts the mindset of separation from God and live from our new life in God. Well, the book of James mentions a wonderful thing. It says that the double-minded man finds it very difficult to receive. Do you remember that? The double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and he cannot receive from God. You see, these things are given. We don't have to do anything to make God give. He's given. Our difficulty is in receiving. Double-mindedness makes it very difficult to receive this resurrection life, to see this, you see. If one day you're thinking of yourself as hidden with Christ and God, and the next you're thinking of yourself as separated from God by your sins. I looked up the word double vision in the dictionary. Do you know what it said? I'll read you a definition of double vision, because I think double-mindedness comes from double vision. Double vision occurs when a person sees a double image where there should only be one. If you sit for years under messages that one week speak to you as if you're of the last Adam and the next as if you're of the first Adam, one week speak to you as if you're a child of the Spirit and the next like you're still under the law, one week speak to you as if you're in Christ in union with God and the next as if you're in sin separated from God, one week speak to you as someone blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm and the next as someone who could be so blessed if you only prayed harder and lived cleaner, <laughs> then you will have double vision. And you will be double-minded. And you will struggle to receive what the Holy Spirit is saying when you're living with two images of yourself. 
multitudes of Christians have been blinded by a reasonable gospel. Because the only gospel with the power to open eyes to the eternal realm, to resurrection life today, is the one that sounds utterly foolish to the reasonable man, which is, in Christ, you already have it all. Come on! Oh, of course it sounds absolutely foolish and reasonable. The natural man says, look at me! How can I have it all? Can you not see my situation? Can you not see my family? Can you not see what's happening in the world? Can you not see that all the stuff is happening? What do you mean I have it all? You can only see by the Spirit. And the Spirit is given. The Spirit is given that we would not be people who cannot see past reason. That we would not be people who preach a reasonable gospel that says, well, if you'll do this for God, then He'll do that for you. The gospel is Christ preached, Him and Him crucified. And by the preaching of Christ, eyes open. Eyes open, like these disciples' eyes open. It's a beautiful thing. That's what Martha said to Jesus. Well, I believe on the last day and the by and by, there'll be a resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said to Martha. Praise God. And then he went ahead and he spoke life over Lazarus. Oh, what a foolish thing to do. Don't be talking to me, brother. My brother's dead. Don't be talking to me, brother. He's dead. Speak life. Jesus spoke that beautiful life. Now, he was God speaking. And things began to happen, you know. And I believe that there are words that God will put in our hearts. And when it's of the Spirit of God, nothing will stop those words. Amen. Those words will accomplish that for which he goes forth. But you've got to be, be, begin to see in the realm that Jesus is operating in. I am the resurrection and the life. You know what he's saying? He was saying, I am the last day in this day. And all who believe in me, whose lives are in me, can live from the last day today. And can live as if all things that belong to me now belong to them. Where does it say that in Scripture? Final Scripture. I promise. 1 Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 20. It's finally what Paul said to these Corinthians who were fighting and arguing and trying to get one up on each other, you know, and trying to say, well, no, I got the true gospel. No, I got the true gospel. No, it's Peter's preaching. No, no, it's Cephas. No, it's Apollos. No, it's Christ. He said, listen, can I tell you something? And this is what he said to them. 1 Corinthians 3, from verse 20. The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And that's why the early church could live the lives they lived. That's why Paul and Silas could worship the way they did, chained to a dungeon with their backs bleeding. That's why they could worship then. Because they could say, death, where is your sting? You can't intimidate me because you are darkness and I am light. And the moment you touch me, my light won't go out. It will shine on forever. But you, death, will go out never to be seen again. Isn't that beautiful? As light is to darkness, so every child of God here is to death. You are a child of the light. The moment death touches your light, it goes out and you shine on forever. Isn't that beautiful? The moment death touches your life, it goes out and you shine on forever because darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. And I was thinking this morning, Lord, why am I preaching this message? And I think that there are many of us and our lives have been defined by loss and separation and death. And we've been overwhelmed at times by uh, events, really, like these two disciples, which have really, Cateo, really captivated our vision. 
and we're finding it really difficult to see beyond that thing that happened to us, you know. And the Lord is so merciful and gracious, and he does not speak anything over us but life. And he just says, you know what, your eyes will open. Your eyes will open. I'll give you that promise to every person here. Your eyes will open. Your eyes will open. And what will open them will be Christ speaking about himself. And that's why when we preach, we preach Christ. Because it's only the words and the revelation of Christ, who he is and who you are in him, that will set you free from a lifetime that has curtailed your vision and restricted your growth and tried to rob you of the resurrection life that is standing right in you. Praise God.